We are in uh, week number two of A Lap with a Legend, and I'm excited about this series. Uh, So the idea behind this series is that you have all these men and women of faith that have gone before us. And scripture talks about that they're watching us, they're witnessing us in our races of life, and they're in the grandstands, pom-poms in their hands, and what if we got a chance one by one, week by week, to pull them out of the stands and to take a lap with them? And what advice might they share in their journeys of life that they could help us in our race? And so uh, the theme verse for this series is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, which says, therefore, and the word therefore is a continuation of Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of fame of faith. It's all these men and women listed there and the great things they accomplished through God. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so they're witnessing you, they're watching you, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Today's message is all about perseverance and I've highlighted that word here. Perseverance is just a big fancy word that literally means patient endurance. Hang in there, it might take a while. It's a word that I don't like, (laughs) but it's part of life and it's certainly part of the Christian faith. The person in the Bible who personifies perseverance for me and could speak to us about the fact that sometimes God takes some time to fulfill his promises is Sarah, the person of Sarah. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like God's word is clear, he's told you some things, he's made you some promises, but truthfully, they're not happening. Anybody been there before? Yeah, where it almost feels like that you're going in reverse when you look at your family and your kids and your wife and your career. You're not going forward, you're actually going backward. I think Sarah's story could help us immensely today. And she and her husband, Abraham, received a promise. Many of you are familiar with the story, but in case you're not, let's just go there. Genesis chapter 15. If you have your Bible, if you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me. Verse one says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, it doesn't say Abraham. His name gets changed later to Abraham. In fact, Sarah's name is not Sarah at this time either. It was Sarai or Sarai. As these two people let God work in their lives, they looked less and less like themselves and more and more like God because the A-H part of their names, of both of their names, when their names were changed, is the Hebrew name for God. So God said, I'm gonna take, take you out of yourself and I'm gonna put more of me, myself, in you. So at this time he's Abram and the Lord says to Abram in a vision, do not be afraid, Abram. So God comes to Abram in a vision and and every time God makes a promise, he usually has the phrase, do not be afraid, attached to the promise. There's usually a process associated with the promise. You're gonna have to hang in there. Like this promise is gonna require perseverance. Stay the course and it might get tough sometimes. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Now, just so you know, this promise came to Abram and Sarah 25 years before it actually comes to fruition. 
God's gonna do this miracle in Abram and Sarah's life long after their childbearing years. Their, their reproductive abilities and their bodies should be shut down. So that's something strange God's gonna do. And God does that sometimes. Uh, God has a reason for delaying promises. Every time he delays a promise for you, I promise there's a reason behind that. God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Today's message, today's message is for when you can't understand God and impatience threatens to overwhelm you. Today's message is when you, you just cannot understand God and impatience threatens to overwhelm you. And I think if Sarah were here today, she'd say, I got impatient. I started trying to navigate a situation on my own and boy, did I ever mess things up. And honestly, a moment of patience could have saved me a lifetime of regret. And she would tell you, a moment of patience could save you a lifetime of regret. Come on, how many of you had somebody in high school and you're sitting there thinking, well, maybe. How many of you had somebody in high school that at 15 you thought, I'm gonna marry him and now you've gone back on Facebook after the fact and you're like, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not married to that guy. You know what I'm talking about, right? He was, he was fine at 15, but now he's a tub of goo. You know what I'm talking about? Like, hunk solo, job of the hut, right? Thank you, Jesus, for not answering that prayer. So we've been there. We understand, like, we see it in hindsight, Thank you, God, for not answering the prayer that I was praying. But at 15, you were furious at God that he was telling you no or not yet. And that happens a lot of times. That's why we have to learn about this impatience thing. It can actually threaten to overwhelm you if you allow it to. So Sarah would say, I did that. Please don't do what I did. She would say it this way. Don't complicate God's promise with your solution. Don't do that. Do not complicate God's promise. If God's promised you something, don't complicate that with your own solution. And if you know anything about her story, she basically takes matters into her own hands. And as we study the story, I want to pull out three little teaching points, and then I'm going to give you three encouragements, and then we're going to go eat. Amen? All right. (laughs) That's That's a good, that was the best amen I've heard all day right there when I talk about food. I think Sarah would say, listen, I, I didn't fully, I didn't fully trust God. And God told me some things. I didn't fully trust God. I didn't think he knew what he was doing. I thought he was blowing a lot of hot air with that promise. But she would tell us you need to trust him. Just trust, trust him. Trust God. Remember, we're just taking a lap with Sarah. She's just giving us advice on this race called life. She's saying, don't complicate God's promise with your solution. In fact, don't complicate God's promise with your solution, even if it takes a long time. And sometimes it does. It likely will. And none of us like that part of God, but God is notoriously slow in our understanding of slowness. I read about a guy who had a conversation with God and he said, God, what is a million years like to you? And God said, well, it's like a second. He goes, God, what's a million dollars look like to you? And he goes, it's like a penny. So God says, can I have a penny? And God said, just a second. (laughs) God is notoriously slow in our understanding of slowness. 2 Peter 3 says this way, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Let's continue the story. Genesis 16, verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar 
So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Uh Uh-oh. Right? Would you look at that? Sarah even has bad theology now. And if you let this impatience thing overwhelm you, it can actually transform your theology where you're thinking inaccurately when you allow impatience to overwhelm you. She goes, the Lord's kept me from having no children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I, if God can't, then maybe I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. If you know the story, Abram bears a child through Hagar named Ishmael, which is now the father of the Arab nations. And for millennia, there's been conflict between these groups over time. So Sarah's surrogate solution to the problem created chaos for millennia. And that's usually the case. When we take God's matter into our own hands, we just create chaos. That's typically what happens. And I I can't help but think and wonder if we don't even have the Islamic faith, which millions have been led to the Islamic faith if Sarah doesn't take the surrogate solution in her own hands. It's just food for thought. Here's the second thing Sarah would say if she were here today. When you're tempted to take matters into your own hands, trust God, even if it seems ridiculous. Uh, And we just need to get comfortable with the fact that God often operates in the ridiculous. Uh, I think most people want their Christianity uh, cookie cutter and normal. And by the way, our normal's not normal. God's normal's normal. It's our normal that's abnormal. And and if you like normal, I'm gonna pray for you because that's the people that God's gonna just mess up. That's just what he does. He goes, I'm gonna mess up your world a little bit. Uh, But God's normal's not normal. It's not normal to raise people from the dead. It's not normal to do miracles, which I've seen with my own eyes still happening today. It's not normal for those things to happen. God often operates in the ridiculous. And, and I just think we need to make ourselves more comfortable with that because if you don't, you could be keeping yourself from some of the very best parts of God because God does things that are a little crazy sometimes. Look at Genesis 18. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, you have to remember, they're really old at this point. Abraham is 100, and she's 90. Explain that pregnancy, right? <laughs> she's walking down the maternity section at Babies Are Up. I'm pregnant, right? Like, that's funny. Like, she's just walking around. That, nobody gets That's funny to me. Like, she's buying diapers for the baby and depends for herself. I'm sorry, I took that too far. I should have said that. I apologize. That's funny, right? She's buying diapers. Like, that's funny. He's, he operates in the ridiculous. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And some of you need to start speaking that question over your lives. As you look at your marriage, is anything too hard for the Lord? As you look at your wayward children, is there anything too hard for the Lord? As you look at your career path that is not where you thought it would be, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Come on, with man, this is impossible. Not with God. All things are possible with God. Come on, let's give God some praise that he's a big God. He can do all things. There's nothing that's too hard for him. Yeah, you can clap. Thank you. You can clap. It's okay. It's okay. Is anything too hard for God? No, no. He can do anything. Sarah's saying as she's running this lap with us, it could take a long time, but when God fulfills his promise, it could even be strange how he does it. So get used to that, but you need to trust God also, even if those around you don't trust God. 
That's the last one. Even if those, and let me just say this, you better believe that devil is gonna put naysayers in your world. And I hate this, but it's just true that oftentimes it's some of our Christian friends that are the biggest naysayers. One of my concerns about this generation is the overabundance of voices. The digital age is, is really powerful and it's exciting. I can look into this camera right here and over the last few weeks as we've gone into Facebook Live, we've had people from Houston, Texas and Austin, Texas and Lubbock, Texas and Midland and Abilene and San Angelo and Midlothian and Del Rio and uh, Arkansas and Alaska. And I've got a friend in the United Kingdom who's watching today. It's awesome, the power of technology, but as we embrace technology, it's also very dangerous because you've got more voices coming into your life than ever before through blogs and commentaries and social media. You get all these voices in your head and they make you start to doubt truth. And it's just dangerous. And Sarah's saying, you gotta be careful because I had voices around me saying, what are you talking about? You're 90. You should be a great grandmother, not a mother. Look at the next verse, Genesis 21, verse six. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears this will laugh with me. They're all gonna make fun of me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah uh, that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah would say God knew exactly what he was doing. And my surrogate solution was a poor substitution for God's promise. Don't go there. My surrogate solution was a poor substitution for what God had promised us. If we would have just <laughs> remained faithful, don't do that. And that's why, and this should be encouraging to you, she said spends most of her life doubting God, but she still ends up in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. Look at this verse, Hebrews 11, 11. And by faith, even Sarah, can I get an even read in my life? Can I get an even you? Isn't that good that there's an even me, even I could be, even Sarah who was past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. In the end, she realized, and you'll come to the same conclusion, that every time we try to get involved with our own solutions, they don't work out well, but check it out. God is faithful. He will still deliver you on the promise. Uh, he'll, he'll forgive you for doubting him. He'll take you back, everybody. Is that not a good thing? Amen, anybody? That God still loves you and will still fulfill the promise even when you mess up. Three little points to pull out of the story. Number one, because I don't want you to try to get ahead of God when he isn't moving fast enough for you. Don't try to get ahead of God when he isn't moving fast enough for you. I'm guilty, I'm a very impatient person. I like to get things done. I like to remind myself, I have to remind myself multiple times, Read this is a, this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. Slow your roll. When I, uh, I left here the first time as youth pastor, I went to Austin to plant a church and we got some training and learned how to plant a church. And uh, we, we went all over the city. We were trying to find the exact location that we would plant. And JC and I felt very called to this area known as Westlake. Some of you are familiar with Austin. There were just no new churches there. There were all older churches um, that had been there for a long, long time. There were no ex new expressions of the bride of Christ. So we said, let's go. And we felt very called to that. We prayed through it. We thought about different areas, but th that was just, that was where we were supposed to go. So we had a core team of about 20 people that said, we wanna help you start this new church. So we're going door to door and we're trying to minister to people and reach people for Jesus. And uh, we had built up a little bit of a following in the sense that there were people that were ready to come to church, but we didn't have a church building. 
And so that was the problem with that area. It's a different school district. And so they didn't really care about you being in their school district. A lot of uh, Austin ISD is really good about letting churches use their facilities for church. But, but Eanes, where Westlake is, they didn't really want you there. And so we couldn't find a venue. So we finally found a venue. It was an old movie theater in a, in a mall there. And they said, we'd love to have you. The problem is, is that we, we have... Um, we have construction. They were putting new seats and they said, it's going to be six to eight months. It ended up being closer to a year. And so we're, we're just kind of twiddling our thumbs going, well, we, we feel like we're supposed to start this church and we've got all these people that are ready to come to church. We have no church. And as this was happening, I, I met a, a, another pastor. I was meeting with different pastors around that area, just getting advice from them and wisdom. And one of the pastors was in the neighboring zip code. Now, if you're familiar with Austin, it's not like uh, this part of Snyder and then, and then like North College, or North College or South College. Like it's very different parts of town. So the very next zip code is Zilker Park, which is a very uh, historic part of Austin. A lot of uh, lifers that had been there really since birth lived there. And that's where his church was. And he'd been there since 2009. It's 2013 at the time. And he said, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And they had about 25 people and it just it had not grown uh, and they were really frustrated and he was frustrated. And he says, I'm just gonna, we're gonna call it quits. But as we began to talk and dialogue, he said, hey, I got an idea. What if, what if we merge our churches? You get your 20 and we'll add 25 so you will double and we don't have to close the doors in this church and you could just inherit the 25 people. And that sounded like a really good plan. So he said, let's do it. We prayed about 10 minutes and said, that sounds like a great idea. Right? We grow. They don't have to kill their church. That sounded like a win-win to me. So instead of planting in Westlake, which we both felt very called to do, we moved to a different zip code and tried to restore a church that was dying in the Zilker Park neighborhood. Well, long story short, it didn't work. And uh, my church growth model is I want to reach unchurched and dechurched people. Uh, I'm not a big fan of stealing sheep and transferring sheep. And so that's a slow growth model. We were reaching people that were coming to our church. But if they've been unchurched, they don't know that we do church every week, right? <laughs> they think, I'm a regular attender. You came once this month, man. Like, come every week. We have it every week, you know? And so we were growing. We just weren't growing really fast. And, and, and as a result... Um, the people, the 25 that were there started to murmur and say, well, maybe we should just close the doors. And that started to infiltrate the 20 that we had built as a court team. And before long, we just decided, you know what, maybe we should just close the doors. And we just helped that church to die well. And uh, I'm thankful today that that happened because I wouldn't be your pastor I wouldn't be here. And, I, and, and, the last, and then four years after that, or, or the next four years, I was at another church that was the most alive church I've ever been a part of. Um, and I learned how to do ch how a church dies and how a church thrives. I've seen both. And I got exposed to a lot of things that I think have made me a better leader. And I, I know that I'm supposed to be where I'm supposed to be. But I go back to that and I say, man, God called us to that area and we didn't follow his call. Why? Because I got impatient. I said, we got to start. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And I, I feel like that I let a lot of people down. My wife and I cried lots of tears as we had to close the doors to that church. Why? Because of our impatience. I want to show you a verse in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. That's great and all, but what do I do in the meantime, Pastor Reed? Because it's painful. 
and I can't hardly make it sometimes. And I know some of you are stuck in the middle of a promise right now. In fact, some of you feel like you're going backwards instead of forwards, or at the very least, you're stuck in neutral. And I want to give you a secret. The secret of patience is doing something else in the meantime. That's the secret of patience, just doing something else in the meantime. The Bible gives instructions for that. Are you ready for this? This has worked every single time. It's been tried. This is a great refrigerator verse. Write this down. You need to look at this once a week, if not once a day. Psalm 37, 7. This is a New Living Translation. It says this, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Listen to this. You're able to do the last part of that verse, wait patiently for him to act, if you do the first part of the verse and you be still in the presence of the Lord. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 46, 10 that says, be still and know that I am God. I just want you to take 10 minutes this week and just be still in the presence of God. Know that he is God. I don't even want you to read your Bible or, or to pray. I, maybe you turn on some worship music and you just sit in, in the presence of God and you allow those worship lyrics to pour over your heart and calm the savage beast within you. I just want you just to take 10 minutes and know that he is God and be still in the presence of the Lord. And then you'll come out of that time and you'll go, you know what, I can wait patiently. He knows what he's doing. And I'm gonna trust him in the presence of God and the patience of God and the peace of God will overcome you and you'll say, Lord, you know all things, and I'm okay being with you on this journey. Again, be still 10 minutes every day this week and just see if it doesn't calm something within you. And the second part of Psalm 37, seven gives us another clue on how to have patience. It says, don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. It says, don't worry about other people. Don't fret when people blank, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. Don't fret when they do that. Shut the voices out. Some of you need to take a fast from Facebook. Some of you need to turn the news off because it's negative. And if you always allow your negative to get in your life, you're gonna get discouraged and you start thinking the whole world's falling apart. By the way, God's not nervous, anybody. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like God leaned over to Jesus and goes, hey, did you hear what's happening in Syria? Oh, no. No, he knows. He's aware. He's taking care of things. God's in control. But sometimes we just have so many negative voices that's why if you'll just worship, you'll just sit in the presence of God, you'll shut out the voices, you'll find your ability to be patient so much easier. Here's a second tip that Sarah would give us is when you must wait, focusing, focus on what's happening in you, not what's happening to you. Focus on what's happening in you, not what's happening to you. Let me say it this way. When something's happening to you, you better believe that God is trying to do something in you. Right? Let me paint the picture. Somebody goes, hey, Lord, I need some help with this. And God would say, okay, I'm happy to help you. But I'm going to teach you something along the way. Well, I'm okay going to heaven dumb as a stump. I just want you to help me and intervene. You don't have to teach me anything. No, 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 that's not how I work. That's not how I work. Listen, God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. Let me say that again. He's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. And don't let that surprise you. You are too. I don't listen to my kids. When, when, when I wake them up for school, praise God, school's out. Come on, Zach. Uh, when I wake them up for school, um, I don't let, like, let, ah, I want to sleep in, right? I don't listen to that. My, my kids don't wake up and go, oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. No, they're like, oh, let me sleep in this morning. Dad, won't you please go away? That's what they're singing, right? <laughs> And I don't go, oh, that's okay, baby. Well, maybe we'll try to go to school tomorrow. I'll let you go back to bed. No, no, get up. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's, right? Because I'm more interested in their character than their comfort. And you're the same way. And God works in us. He goes, I, I, I might make you feel uncomfortable. 
right? I got, I'm gonna create pain for your future purpose because your character is more important than your comfort. God does that. How many of you women are mothers? Okay, a lot of women in the room. Okay, I wanna tell you a story that has nothing to do with anything, but it's, it's a good story. So when, <laughs> when, when JC was pregnant with our firstborn, and we tried a, a long time to get pregnant, and we stood on our heads and all the different things. And we never, we couldn't get pregnant. And then we finally got pregnant with Zach and it was so exciting. And, um, but she had some complications with him in, in, in the womb. And so the doctors here, it was at Cogdell and they said, well, we're gonna wait till his lungs are developed. And somehow they could figure that out. And they said, I think this is the day that he can be ready to come out and okay. And so we said, we're gonna do a C-suction and we're gonna take him at this time. It's so like 36 weeks, he was a little premature. And so we're there. And uh, let me just preface this by saying, I never took health. I took health in high school, but I took it correspondence through Texas Tech. And you literally like read a chapter and take a test and read a chapter and take a test. So I never saw a birthing video. I had no idea what I was in for. My idea of birthing was every like ER episode that I've seen where there's like this little red baby, you know, this little pink baby. It's a perfectly naturally colored baby. And, um, and so I'm, I'm in there and she's, um, you know, she's having surgery and I'm just right beside her. You know, it was really good advice if your wife's pregnant you can just she's your one flesh that baby's out of here in 18 years so I focused on her I'm like come on baby you can do this I'm proud of you I'm with you the whole way and so then I hear that unmistakable cry right where the he's here it was 888 that was Zach's birthday and uh, so I look over and it was the most beautiful and disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. He, he comes out and he looks like he's covered in ectoplasma from Ghostbusters. He's just like, they're like, here's your son. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> I was like really disturbed by it. And, um, and so JC's like, oh, isn't that sweet? I'm like, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> he doesn't remember this. I'm, I'm thankful he's here to hear all this. Um, but, and now I've got those goggles on, you know, and, and I'm not even claustrophobic, but now I'm like breathing hot air and it's fogging up my goggles. And now I'm getting claustrophobia because I'm like, I can't see, can't breathe, you know? And JC's in the middle of surgery and she's, and, and every, all the doctors turn and focus on me. They're like, he's really green. We need to wheel him out. So they wheeled me out on this little office chair. It was the most humiliating moment of my life. It's what you do to me, boy. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Women, when you're about to give birth, it's the only time in your life where pain is not telling you something is wrong, but t- pain is telling you something is right. It's the only time in your life when you feel pain and you go, oh, something good is about to happen. And when that pain happens, a lot of times when you have pain, you just try to fix the pain. But in that pain, you push through the pain because there's something beautiful on the other side. And then God works the same way. He goes, if you've got pain in your life, I want you to push through that pain. You've been given this promise and sometimes right when you get close to the deliverance of the promise, you're gonna get frustrated and it's gonna be painful. But I want you to push through that pain because there's goodness and beautiful things on the other side of that pain. And so if you're in the midst of that right now and you're like, ah, that's just really painful, just remember that wonderful illustration. Uh, It works the same way spiritually. Look at Romans. This is Romans 8. This is the message. I just like how it's written in the message. Uh, Romans 8, 24. This is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. Can I get an amen from all those who've been pregnant? Uh, We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Isn't that beautiful? Let me say it this way. The longer you wait, the closer you are to delivery, but the more painful it could become. 
And that's why in the middle of all that, you have to say, God, there is purpose in my pain. I know there's a promise that's on the way. Something good is getting ready to come out of all of this. In all things, you're working for the good of those who love you, who've been called according to your purpose. I'm just gonna trust you. I'm gonna give you this phrase today. Patience isn't the ability to wait, but how you act while you're waiting. It isn't the ability to wait, but how you act while you're waiting. I believe God wants to do something in you. And the quicker you accept the fact that God wants to do something in you, the quicker you'll get through it. Just learn the lesson. Let God work inside of you. Go from Sarai to Sarah. Let God work inside of you so much that he actually changes you. Your deliverance is right around the corner. Here's the last point and we're done. Even our very best cannot possibly compare to anything God has in mind. Even your very best cannot possibly compare to anything God has in mind. I don't know God's plan for your life, but I know God. And that's almost as good as knowing the plan because God is good, so his plan must be fantastic. It's immeasurably more than than anything that you could ask or even imagine. In fact, allow your heart to soak up this verse like a sponge. Isaiah 64, four says, since before time began, no one has ever imagined, no ear heard, no eye seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. Let me say it this way. God has a much better plan for your life than you have for yourself if you're willing to wait for it. So I wanna encourage you today that you'd allow a message from this legend of faith named Sarah to root itself deep into your heart and say with her, God, it's hard, but work inside of me your nature so that I can have the very best that you have for me. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Bow your heads in prayer with me for just a moment. You know, some of you, even those that are watching today on television or Facebook Live, needed this message today because you're in the middle of a very difficult season. And some of you are believing God for wayward kids or a marriage that's gone bad or finances to be turned around. You're in a situation with your own health that is difficult for you. God has something in store for you that is better than you could plan for yourself. And I want to tell you about another promise that I I know you do not have to wait 25 years to get fulfillment from, and that is the promise of salvation. It can happen today in an instant, the moment you call upon his name. Scripture says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you came in unsaved, you will leave here saved. It's a promise that happens today. It's instant. And I know there's somebody in this room today that needs that. There's somebody watching online today that needs that. And I wanna walk you through that prayer. But I wanna know who I'm praying for. And so if that's you, you say, Reed, would you just include me in your prayer? I need salvation. I need the promise of eternal life in heaven, John 3. I need the promise of a better abundant life on earth, John 10, 10. If you want me to include you in that prayer, would you just slip up your hand at this time? Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Awesome. All right, let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for those that have raised their hands and confessed that they need a commitment with you today, put their lives in your hands. And now all over this room and even on TV or Facebook Live, would you just pray this prayer with me? Just pray this out loud. You gotta confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. Just say something like, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to die for my sins, that you were buried and that you rose again. Come into my life, I surrender it to you.
Lead me from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen.